Good evening and good morning, EPL State of Mind listeners. I'm so happy you got to hear my voice, at least back-to-back days from having a great recording session with Sean yesterday. And now I, I would arguably say probably an even better recording session today because we have Kyle again. So we're back into the three amigos again recording. Kyle, welcome back. Um, I hope you are doing well, sir. Yeah, it was a good weekend. That should uh, hopefully be able to join you guys up with some of those weekend additions to the pod soon. Busy end of the summer, but busier couple of weeks coming up. So here we go. Premier League, we're back. I have noticed that you've been working on your color lately. You're not as pale as I assumed you would. Um, Sean, I think you you have to pass him a little bit. Yeah, I'm a very tan man, dark hair, the usual. Listen, we, we can only dream to be as, as handsome as you, Kyle, but one, uh, but welcome back, sir. Welcome back. And I'm excited to get back into it with you and Sean. Um, Sean and I had a great little r- summary, I guess, of the remaining 12 teams yesterday. So today we get into our regular scheduled programming, which is obviously hot news, the weekend re- recap, and the look ahead. Um, obviously, when things become more interesting, we'll do a little bit spotlights here and there. But for now, to get everyone excited and to get everyone back in the fill of things, we're going to start with our hot news. Now, this is being called multiple things, the smooch scene across the world, Kissgate, you name it, it's got a name for it. This is the, of course, the kiss from Spanish Football Federation's chief, Luis Rubales, who kissed the Spanish player, Jenny Hermoso, on the lips during the celebration of the World Cup victory last week. So, of course, all good reporters go straight to a source or someone who is close to the action. And Sean and I had the same instincts to go straight to our Spanish concierge, I guess. And that would be Juan Juan, who will be making his return to the States, I believe, actually tomorrow. So we'll be able to have him on the podcast relatively soon to speak for himself to get a little bit of a cultural diversity over here. I love it. But, of course, Sean and I went on to our phones and reached out to the Spaniard to see what, what is actually going on right now. And to keep things relatively short so we don't get too into it, we have a couple notes here, but right now the the Spanish Football Federation chief, Luis uh, Rubales, has been a temporarily suspension from FIFA and is now being investigated by Spanish authorities for his actions. It has taken a massive turn from just being something as simple as the he said, she said, to now his his mother Actually, I'm sorry, his, his grandmother, right? No, it was his mother. His mother today locked herself in church in Granda and is being... Grenada. In, in Grenada, thank you. Oh, my God. Is, being wow. sta- is staging a hunger protest. To be honest with you, I haven't heard of a hunger protest since the days of Gandhi. So this is pretty ex- in- extreme stuff um, for something that's going along the lines of this. Uh, in the wise words of Juan... It, you know, this should be the end of his corrupt kind of misleading misdeeds heading of the Spanish uh, Federation here. So hopefully the corrupt idiot gets removed. Uh, There is obviously two sides to every story. And what you hear right now is at the initial reaction, you know, you have to feel for Jenny, obviously having something done to her that was not consensual, which is what he is saying it was. But you have to you have to take into consideration all the factors are going. Something comes out like this. Something happens when she's full of emotion, just thrills, excitement. 
I'm sure she didn't even realize what actually happened until she saw all the photos and now it blows up in something like this. So right. people are now going back to her and saying, well, you, you see the videos. She's got some videos of her friends in the locker room laughing at the photo when uh, when the uh, the Spanish Football Federation chief, Luis Rubales, actually comes into the locker room and says everyone's getting a free paid trip to Ibiza. You know, they were laughing. They were excited. Someone actually says, you know, oh, we can go celebrate your wedding as a joke. Everyone laughed. But that's in the moment right there. And then as soon as it gets publicized and everyone's like, what is this? This is a, this is not OK. It's the feelings probably start to sink in a little bit for Jenny. So I feel for her and being attacked almost on two fronts, having to be now, a you know, a, a focus point for women athletes and women in general. And then also being kind of stuck in this very poor situation with the country that she loves and the team that she's played for and won the World Cup. So ultimately, it's a very shitty situation that should not have occurred. Um, and it is putting a, a relatively large shadow on a great, successful World Cup for these uh, these Spanish women. I mean, we live in the world of social media now. When people are at the level they're at, you have to assume you're being watched at every single second and that everything you do is going to get replayed in other people's houses. So, I mean, on both sides, you look at Jenny, of course, like, as you said, as they laughed it off, you don't think she wanted to go to bed and wake up and just deal with being a champion. Yeah. Now she has to deal with waking up to scandals, this, that it's in her face 24 seven for the coming weeks. And I mean, same with the guy that did it, you know, he's, he's an asshole. He's got to realize, Hey man, you're under a telescope. (laughs) You can be smarter. Like dude, if I'm the coach of that team, I would have had my celebration planned to a T the night before if I had won, you know, it's, you gotta, gotta be smarter yeah no totally i mean i just want to see if the hunger strike works though because if it does i might do a hunger strike for liverpool to hold on to for the end of the uh the window just to, just to see how effective it oh is oh my god that came so far out of left field when i saw that i was i i, I didn't want to laugh because i'm like no someone needs to feed this 80 year old woman but also like maybe she's got to go somewhere else than a church man that's that's just insane but moving on to something a little bit closer to home that I guess is sort of like a hunger strike of its own. Kyle, why don't you bring up the news of one Mateus Nunez from Wolves right now? Mateus Nunez on Wolves. Well, we're going after him. He is currently on strike from training as he tries to force a move to Man City. And you know what? We'll take him. I personally don't really understand all of it. You know, it's a $47 million bid. And they, the Wolves picked him up for 45 and he has been performing. So, if I'm looking at it through the eyes of the Wolves fans, the Wolves organization, City is blowing smoke out their ass with that low ball bid of $47 million. He has They paid 45 and he performed, period, which makes him now comparable in the Premier League. He's worth more. I think Manchester City is realizing that the Wolves are in big, big trouble. And hey, if you're willing to give up one of your play star players, we'll give you a big chunk of change for him, but it's definitely a low ball offer. I think the Wolves are absolutely correct to reject it. They said they want 60 minimum. That's fair. That's beyond fair for a player of his quality. So, look, I like it. The Wolves are in fight or flight mode. I think they got to keep him. Um, if they don't keep him, if they come, they let him come to Man City, he's not going to fit in right away. I mean, the front line is the front line. The, the battle for a starting position in the top six at Manchester City is one of the tightest battles in the world for soccer. You got to be at the top of your level. 
and well Nunez is, you, you got players like Alvarez stepping up. You know, Holland, he's not getting replaced. So it's an interesting player. It's an interesting position to go for. But we'll see. I think if the Wolves do let him go, they better turn that 47 million pounds, dollars, euros around, whatever, and get players as soon as possible. Because without Nunez, they're not staying in the Premier League with without yeah. a replacement. Yeah, I just don't think there's enough time for them to do that. I think it would be a stupid move for Wolves to do. But I think, you know, this is a really unfortunate event where the player is trying to force his way out for no good reason other than the fact that he wants to go play for a separate team. You're under contract. You're under contract. You play yeah, for I think who, you, he, uh, who pays you. He probably saw what Mitrovic did, right? And was saying, like, hey, if you hold out, you can get a bigger paycheck. You can get guaranteed trophies. It's like, well, no. That was I mean, the case for Coutinho one person. Did it. Coutinho did it at Liverpool. But uh, at least, uh, you know, I respect that Nunez at least has the respect to, you know, or the gall to stand up and say, yeah, I'm just not showing up to training. Coutinho uses fake back injuries for, like, six months until they eventually sold him the bark. And I was like, dude, we know you're not fucking hurt, all right? Well, <laughs> sorry, it out. on that note, though. Barca did just come in and swoop Jao Cancelo from City. So, you know, am I happy about Similar it? Similar fashion, yeah. No. Am I upset about it? No, because I was under the impression Jao Cancelo was lost to Bayern Munich with, you know, four months ago. That was my impression. So, you know, it was really nice to maybe have him back, but I didn't get attached to the idea of having him. So, yeah, it's a bummer, but at least he's going to Barca, like a, a decent team where he can thrive. I don't know how the register. Yeah, I don't know how where they're getting the money for. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, another tw- another twenty million splashed out. Where they get this money is unbelievable. I don't know. I mean, you talk about well, dude. Right, think about right. how much they save from not paying rent. <laughs> <laughs> that was yeah, good. Exactly. All right. Well, talking about a lot of money and the possibility of leaving. Why don't you, Sean, go ahead and talk about you know I, something that I don't think is going to happen, but. Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia flashing some serious cash, 150 million for rumors linking Mo Salah. Yeah, um, be the third third Liverpool player to leave this this window to Saudi, um, and this one would hurt the most by far. He's a world class player. Um, I still think he's one of the three to five best players in the Premier League, like comfortably. Um, and the bid is 85 million right now, or at least get guaranteed. And then with add-ons, getting it up to 150 million, um, to join Al Etihad where, I mean, he'd link up with Fabinho again, and then also Benzema and Conte. So it'd be a ridiculous team. And obviously I think he's the number one guy they want, right? Like yeah. in terms of, you know, that part of the world, in terms of Middle East, Middle Eastern athletes, the first person you'd think of is Mo Salah, you know, especially in the Arab world, especially. So, um, yeah, I think he'll. it's inevitable that he goes there at some point. I'm just praying it's not this window because we need him for this season, you know, to get back in the top four, to, you know, go you know on a run in Europa and, you know, maybe in, in a domestic cup. He absolutely has to be here because we don't have anyone that plays on the right side besides him and, and a kid named Ben Doak, who's 16. So, um that's how important he is he scored he scores 20 goals every year he he provided the game-winning assist in the game that you know we're going to hop into in a few in a few minutes um yeah you have to keep hold of him i just i refuse to accept that he's going to leave this window until i see it happen i just i it's fuck it it's nonsense but they talked about it a lot yesterday on the on the nbc broadcast but what do they know is is the way i'm hoping (laughs) it turns out well we only have what four days left 
three days left, including yeah, not including for, today. yeah Friday. Yeah, Friday. So we'll yeah. see. His camp has come out and said if they he was going to leave, he wouldn't have signed the extension last season or two seasons ago, rather. So there, there's some promise there that came straight from his camp. But who knows? Who knows? Money talks, especially uh, especially at this point in the game in that league. But with that being said, that kind of wraps up our hot news. Obviously, some serious conversations there. But even even better than the hot news was the action that we saw this weekend. I think across the board on the table was some really impressive and really kind of sitting on the edge of your seat kind of games throughout the entire front half, bottom half, all different types of clashes. So we've highlighted three of them for everyone today. And the first one is Hammer Time. And this is kind of my biggest one for the weekend. There were some really impressive comeback wins, such as Liverpool, which we'll talk about a little later on. But to me, seeing seeing West Ham beat Brighton at the Amex 3-1 was extremely impressive. Now, I kind of alluded to it yesterday during the review that that scoreline doesn't necessarily reflect the, the, the pace and the flow of the game. But it, it showed that West Ham are you know, coming in hot this season. So it's another week of highlighting the Englishman James Ward-Prowse and Jared Bowen. James Ward-Prowse scored his first goal as a hammer for the opener to make it one nothing, And Bowen had an, an absolute beautiful touch to a goal from a Ben Rama silver platter ball in stride into the box. Absolutely gorgeous to bring him up 2-0. Two, two and then Antonio, again, had a laser beam of a strike, a very nice move, very subtle move, faking his inside pass, inside movement, turning around on the outside to get that ball onto his right foot and shooting across in, into the back of the net. I mean, it was a killer strike from a red-hot Antonio who I shat on last season for poor performance. So it's a great start to, <laughs> to, <laughs> it's a great start to his season. One thing to point out, though, is that the counterattacking style, is it sustainable for West Ham? You know, this is the second game in a row that they have had less than 25% of the possession, but they were able to score three goals for the win. And it's all from counterattacking style of play. Something that Liverpool does very well, that they're very well known for, and now West Ham's trying to kind of emulate, which is fine. But the crazy part is that they still face 25 total shots, 10 of which were on target, and they required their new goalkeeper Ariola to actually physically stand on his head for some of these saves. I mean, he came out man of the match and he was fantastic. Super glad I have him as a backup, a really cheap fantasy football backup to, uh, to Onana, who I think fell on his face a few times. So, I mean, he's not going to be able to have those games all the time. So is this going to really be able to be sustained? I mean, yes, Brighton is the most well-known team for shots on target and shots per goal. And if they can withstand that bombardment, they could probably do a pretty good job for the rest. But I'll ask you this one, Sean. Is it West Ham was that good or is Brighton in trouble because of the lacking of their number 10 role and that kind of middle of the field presence? Yeah, uh, that that is definitely an issue for Brighton. But I do think you have to give West Ham credit. Oh, absolutely. They have the players in the attacking spaces who are constantly going to, you know, cause issues. You have uh, Saeed Benrahma, who you highlighted, beautiful ball. He's like a really silky player, really good dribbler. Bowen's super direct. He's pacey. He's got a good shot on him. Antonio 
will run the channels relentlessly, and he's big and strong. And obviously, as you alluded to, his his finishing is touch and go. It comes in spurts, though, for goals for him. You know, when he does score one, he scores five or six in, in you know, the next month or so, and then he'll go hot for stretches again. But um, they have a lot of players you can – and Paqueta as well, uh, just players you can create off the break. Um, I do think it's – you know, they'll, they'll lose games, obviously, when you have less chances, less time on the ball. But they will take their chances and be very clinical throughout this year. And we, we also talked about it, you know, with Ward-Prowse. He looks – like a man possessed right now. He's been great for them, um, stepping into that role, moving over from Southampton. Absolutely, absolutely. So then, what is Brighton's position right now with their with their number ten? This was the first game Danny Welbeck and Ferguson played as a duo, kind of up top with Welbeck sitting behind Ferguson because of Enceso's injury, who will be out for quite a bit of time. Do you see Jao Pedro being enough to fill that void now? Um, he's a little bit of a different player to Antiso, and I, I think he's probably best on the wings or up top, to be honest. Uh, the guy that I think could potentially step up is uh, Facundo Buonanote, who we talked about, I think, in the preview for Brighton. He's a really smart player, um, good like good good IQ. I don't know if he's got like anything elite in terms of athleticism or skill overall, but you know he could prove to, to show a lot more. But they were talking about sending him out on loan and then have kind of changed their stance on that recently. I think that's probably because he's expected to play some, some minutes in the 10, but um, they still were able to, you know, create chances in this game. I know Kyle, you watch this game too. Brighton, you know, had their chances for sure. They just didn't necessarily convert them. Yeah. I also think the NC so loss is humongous for different reasons. It's the locker room presence for me. Like I think about that a lot. I say that a lot with, Kyle Walker from Manchester City, how he is the locker room captain. He, without him, we'd be losing it. And CISO's young. And when he scored that cracker last year, I don't know if I saw a a team celebrate around one person more than that. They love him and he loves them. His presence just on the field in the locker room is crucial to that team. And you know what? I think even though he's hurt, if he's just there, it's going to matter. But you know, you remove him from a team, they hurt. Like, it, it's pretty apparent. He's a young, fun, energetic back. So there's not too many of those in the Premier League right now. I mean, it, it's he, – he gives me Kyle Walker vibes of a, a young leader from the back who's just out there having fun, and when people see him having fun, they have fun. So it's – you know, that, that hurts. But they're going to do what they can. And, you know, like Sean said, that was that was a fun game. It's it's just West Ham. I think I think it's the case of West Ham playing better, as not so much as Brighton playing poorly. They're coming off a Chelsea win. They're coming off a Brighton win. I think this is them making a statement early on. Don't don't fuck around with us. Like, hey, we're here to play. And shit, for all I know, they are here to play this year. Watch out for them. A lot of that, a lot of fun actually going to come out of the out of the hammers, the irons for sure. And I'm sure I'll, I won't hear the end of it from Jack Dugan or Ted Smith or my cousin, but we'll we'll, <laughs> we'll get through through that together. One thing that I am very impressed that you were able to get through and still be able to show up today, Sean. I alluded to it yesterday. Was the Newcastle Liverpool game and that victory that comeback, nah, that was a boring game. That, that inspiring. <laughs> inspiring performance from Liverpool and one only uh, Darwin Nunez. 
So why don't you take us through that, your emotions and everything like that? Yeah, if I, I, if I could sum it up in three words, I'd probably use the same as Allison Becker in his post-game interview. Uh, Nunez, Nunez, Nunez. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was awesome. Uh, obviously, the game starts off on as shit of a note possible, right? Trent gets smashed over the line. Classic Newcastle shithouse tactics. No foul gets called. He picks up the ball and... T- throws it and it looks like you know with the new rules that's going to be a yellow every time i mean they don't always they didn't call that previously that's honestly newcastle's move trent stole that one um <laughs> and then he almost gets sent off i feel like a, a you know two minutes later easily could have been sent off a die from anthony gordon i mean what do you expect from some shit nose blue blue mouth uh everton boy <laughs> so to be expected Anyways, <laughs> you go through that. Trent, reeling it in, reeling it in. Trent decides that he's gonna, he's just gonna leave the ball for Anthony Gordon to stroll in and score one nothing. Three minutes later, Virgil gets sent off, second <laughs> sending off in two games, and I'm like, dude, what on earth? I'm sitting on the couch yesterday, nursing a hangover, and I'm like, this is just as miserable of a start as you can imagine. The Jordies are going crazy. And I'm and I'm like pissed because this is a team that all of our games recently with Newcastle have been intense. But if you look at the history, nobody owns a manager like Jurgen Klopp owns Eddie Howe. Eleven consecutive victories over Eddie Howe, <laughs> including two last year. He's only had five losses as manager at Newcastle. Two of them are in there, or three. Excuse me, three of them are to Jurgen Klopp. At St. James's Park, they were the only team to do the double over Newcastle last year, right? Last year, yeah, and the, I think the only teams that beat them there were Arsenal and uh, Liverpool. Well, this was a a polar opposite of last time, though, right? Didn't Newcastle go down a man last time, and you guys just yeah. walked all over yeah. them? Nick Pope, Nick Pope, yeah, Nick Pope went off for handling the ball, but that was when it was two nothing Liverpool already, and then that just kind of killed the game from Liverpool's perspective. And I think kind of something similar happened this week too, where. Newcastle like definitely was the dominant team. Liverpool had a couple runs here and there from Diaz and then one one from I think from Gakpo as well, but really no not too many chances early. And then after that red card, Newcastle just didn't have as many chances, although you have to point out the Allison save which was just yeah. unbelievable mm-hmm. on uh, on Almi run to push it onto the crossbar and then out of play. I mean, he stopped the goal the best of the season in the world contender. For me. Yeah, that, that was, was a strange yeah, I mean, insane run. Yeah. The kid, right. the kid, the kid is on fire when he when he catches Flame Almiron. I mean, he's really fun to watch too. Yeah. But I, was, I think and he was excellent in this game. He, he was. I would say Anthony Gordon was really impressive Gordon too. As well, Both yeah. their wingers looked Absolutely. really, really sharp. But you know, I said it last year during the this matchup when Nick Pope went down, and you kind of alluded to it right there. Is it's not as easy playing with playing against ten men as a lot of people think. You know, it creates a lot of different kind of tactics that the other team has to do. They have to play a little bit more defensive and a lot of teams lose that momentum that they're like, okay, maybe they get overexcited. we got 10 men. It's in the bag, a little sense of, of false confidence. You know, it happened to, to Newcastle and happened to, to Arsenal this weekend. They also were playing with 10 men up, but keep going on the Liverpool because this game was, was really exciting. We haven't gotten to the man of the match. Yeah. No. and And I think to what you just talked about, the substitutions in this game played a big part and in kind of changing the momentum of it. But I did think Liverpool had a chance once they got to halftime without conceding that second goal. And it never really came for Newcastle. But once Anthony Gordon went off and then also Tenali, I, I think went off maybe five or six minutes later, 
uh, Jota, who came on for Liverpool, uh, and Salah were kind of getting in. The, were the only players deep. Like it was pretty much four four one one, and the two of them were just running around in the middle of the park and out on the wings. But they started getting the ball kind of in between the defense and the midfield and creating chances. Um, there was one for Salah that got blocked by Botman, and then once Nunez came on, I mean that was that was the, the substitution that changed the game. He he takes two different chances. The first one kind of ball over the top from Jota that hits Botman and runs into his, you know, into his path. His path. Yeah. He, he runs in and smashes it. Two beautiful goals from a striker's perspective, like great finishes coming in across the right side, which was interesting. Last year, a lot of his was damage was coming down the left wing almost. He played on the wing for a while in the second half of the year. Yep. This time he's on the right side of the pitch, comes down, hits it across goal both times, uh, like beautiful finishes makes a difference within the 80th and then stoppage time in the second minute. Um, huge goals and hopefully it will be a springboard for him into having a, you know, a big second season. Yeah. I also just want to say the, the announcers, they said something this game that just had me laughing out loud, which was after Gordon got his goal and he started celebrating like a madman, you know, cause it's a second goal in black and white stripes, like good for him. The dude goes, yeah, and that's, you know, a big celebration considering he's an ex-Liverpool. The- ex, ex, oh, he said ex-Liverpool? Dude, the other guy goes, he, he well, goes, he, he did, nah, he, did. he was he 11 when academy he was traded from the academy, firstly. Yeah, they got uh, rid of him. They're like, get, like this, dude, get this kid out of here, he's trash, I'm going to go to Everton. Like, 11-year-olds are holding <laughs> grudges like that, like, oh, I can't wait to come back and score <laughs> on those fuckers. Like, <laughs> Especially a kid that grew up in Liverpool, dude, that was probably so satisfying for him. That's probably equivalent to Richarlison scoring against Liverpool last year. But then having it blow up in his face because Jota scored right after it against Spurs. Yeah, so. that was really fucking. I'm just funny. gonna go on a limb and assume Richardson took his shirt off after that goal. Oh yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, of course he did. Yeah, yep, course. love that guy, legend. <laughs> so, so Sean, I mean, kind of just following closing loop here on Liverpool. You you play at home now. You're back at home and you're against Aston Villa. So, did, how much does this play a factor, and how much are you in in trouble in that back line without Van Dyke or what? What are you thinking now from this game to the next? Right. I mean, obviously, Kanata didn't play either. He's out injured, um, and I think he's going to miss the next game as well. So that that stinks. But at the same time, I thought Matip and Gomez both looked pretty promising, you know, played strong games. Listen, Aston Villa's banged up defensively too, obviously without Tyrone Mings. But their, their fullback actually made the difference this weekend, Matty Cash scoring two goals yeah. for them. Um, so they're coming into the game, I think, in pretty good form. Obviously, they got drubbed against Newcastle, but other than that, they've played well in their next next two games. Diaby got another goal. He looks like to be a good player. Um, I think it'll be a tough one, but hopefully Matip and Gomez can fill that void. But they're definitely going to need a better performance from both fullbacks. I think arguably the two worst players on the pitch for Liverpool this weekend were Trent and Andy Robertson. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, your strikers are also... You know, they're on a nice path right now. Think about the last two games you've had all four of your strikers score. I mean, Jota, Diaz, right. Salah, Nunez, like, they're all in form. Every one of them. Even when Jota came on in, what, the 75th this weekend? I mean, yeah. for the little bit of time, by the way, for the viewers, I turned off the game in the 78th minute. It was the biggest mistake of the weekend. But I got to see a little bit of Jota. And even when he came on, he looked like the most energetic guy out there for a little bit. I watched him. He was hustling. He was fighting for balls. So... You know, the Liverpool front line right now, the four of them are clicking. So, you know, the best defense is a good offense. If the ball's never in your half of the field next weekend, very true. Very true. 
Well, we have the next one we highlighted here, which is, was almost as exciting as a thriller, also had another red card, is Manchester United versus Nottingham Forest. This was at Old Trafford, um, and Nottingham Forest opened up with two goals in the first five minutes. I was watching the Arsenal game next to the Man U game on two large screens next to one of my Man U fans, Brendan Heasley, and both of us just look at each other almost simultaneously in the first two minutes, literally just jaws on the floor because both teams capitalized early. Another mistake in the back in the first two minutes by Arsenal. And then another terrible, terrible mistake for Manchester United, too. So, you know, Nottingham Forest did something that we never thought was going to be done during that game. And they scored two goals in the first five minutes. One of them coming from the extremely hot uh, Taiwo Iwoni, who has scored seven goals in seven straight consecutive matches, which is the first Forest player to do that in the Premier League. Uh, the record right now is Jamie Vardy, who has scored 11 in, uh, in 11 consecutive matches. And that's with, uh, with Leicester, who, who won the EPL that season. So that's, that's really impressive company right there. What did you guys think about the game? Because obviously to come back I, six minutes into the game, I said, I just don't see Manchester United scoring three goals to win. Sure, maybe two, but they definitely had a, a bit of a hill or mountain to climb in that first half. And then to to have uh to have to score three was it was quite impressive. Yeah, no, it was a it was a fun game to watch. Uh, the comeback is everyone knows. I mean, Manchester United won the game three to two. Phenomenal comeback from them, with the game just being one of the most fun to watch all all weekend. There were twenty seven shots and a red card. You can't ask for more excitement than that. Uh, Man U dominated pretty much everything that game. As far as passes, possession, shots, shots on target, corners, less fouls, less red cards, da da da, da. and they got the result that they should get, but it was a little stressful for City or for United, I'll say. I mean, you look at their season; they beat the Wolves in the first game. That should have happened, and they relied on a Varane goal ahead from, you know, in the second half. They're relying on defense to score. Then they lost to Spurs two nothing, and they almost just lost to Nottingham. I I think the win is. Everyone saw it coming. I think it is still grounds for worry by them. And I think the only positive thing you take away from this as a United fan is that Erickson, Casemiro, and Bruno all scored. Your center of the field, your midfield, your core is scoring goals. That's humongous for you. Yeah, I was going to say now playing devil's advocate here on the other end of the pitch, and this one might be a really good question for you as well, Sean, is are you concerned with Onana? This is now a second game of the season that he has shown some some cracks here. The first goal, he did not get a good jump on it whatsoever. He actually fell down, got back up, and at that point it was too late. And then the first week against the Wolves, he showed you know that he's not great in the air that we kind of mentioned yesterday. If you're a Manchester United fan, are you concerned that your replacement of uh, De Gea is not exactly what it was cracked up to be yet? Yeah, I think there's some aspect of that, but it's still early, obviously. you got to give him time to get in, but... Listen, they definitely need to get stronger at, at center back and and a backup for Casemiro. You know, he's known for uh, breaking people's legs every now and then, so you know, <laughs> he might get a three-game suspension here or there. You never know. And they don't really have anyone behind him. But, you know, you have Martinez, who's five foot six and not great in the air. Um, five six might be generous, by the way, maybe with cleats on. <laughs> um, but it'll be really interesting this weekend, and we'll, let's just, you know, roll right into it. Manchester United rolls into town and to North London to face the Gunners. Game of the weekend. There's a transition right there. Yeah. What do you think think about this one? 
I, I think that, well, right off the bat, Arsenal are actually relatively heavy favorites uh, right now if you're, you're betting. Uh, and I would back that. I think Arsenal right now with the players that came back into the side that got some minutes during the game on Saturday is looking like the stronger team in depth, in cohesion, and just all around ability. Um, I'll be interested to see which goalie starts in the back of the net for this one. I think it will be Ramsdale again, but I would not be surprised. Um, I would be surprised if Thomas Partey is still out on the right side of the pitch. I think with Marcus Rashford on that left side, I think it would be a bit of a mistake to have Thomas Partey playing more of an inverted right back role. I think, like I said before, it's fine for like the Fulhams. I think it's fine for like the Luton Towns, the Burnleys and stuff like that to kind of give everyone a different guessing game. But with Rashford moving over to the left side of the pitch, you need to put Ben White over there. You got to put Zinchenko on the left side if he's fit and you got to have Ben White. I'm sorry. You got to have Gabriel and Saliba back in the center. I think we go back to that because it worked last year, right? So I'm, I'm excited to see this game, especially since the first one is home. It makes me feel a little bit better. Uh, Gabriel Jesus got some minutes at the end of the game there. But Eddie Nketiah, I think he starts. He scored two for two right now in home games. So we could easily put one in the back of the net here as well. So on the Manchester United side, I just don't see them having the presence in the center of the pitch to keep up with Udegaard, Havertz, and Party and Rice, depending on which trio is in the middle there. We're just going to outpossess these guys. And the biggest thing for us is just make sure that we're solid in the back line so we don't get counterpressed. Because I don't think that Man United will have more than 40%, 37% of the possession of the ball. I know that we saw, I saw them play against us at MetLife Stadium. And that was a different story, a lot of different faces, a lot of different players playing in different positions, different rosters out there. But no, it's preseason, you know. But uh, I really am excited about this one. And I think the Gunners will make a stamp and say, hey, we're, we're still exactly where we were last season. Yeah, so Sean, I saw you uh, mention some XGs there in our little chat. Can, do you want to go over the – would you mind just going over what XGs are again? Just one more time for everyone. Yeah, so expected goals, it's basically you get to a certain area of the pitch, um, and certain areas of the pitch are deemed to be worth like a certain value, like a percentage of a goal. So like 0.75 is, is a penalty, is 0.75 XG. Um, different areas of the box are 0.25, whatever. And then further back is, is obviously less. So it's based on that. Um, but this year, Manchester United's defense has been kind of weak. They're only ahead of, or they've only conceded less XG than Fulham, Luton, Brighton, and Sheffield United, two teams who are favorites to go down. Brighton, who plays very, uh, you know, basketball-style game where it's back and forth and, and a lot of chance both ways. Plus, I mean, West Ham ripped them open on the counter this weekend. Um, but then on the other you know side of it, Arsenal second in that category behind only Man City, and that's probably why Kyle wanted to bring up the stat. I'm thinking because um, we haven't because yeah. <laughs> we haven't talked about Man City, and they probably do have the best defense in the league once again, and it makes a difference every year in the title race. Um, I'm surprised they've already conceded two goals this year. To be honest, I'm a little disappointed against you know relegation fodder both times. Look, you got to watch out, Sheffield United. <laughs> they're a good team but uh yeah for those who don't know man city won this weekend holland scored, Holland's Rodgers scored. PK. we won two one nah 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 i was no one saw that so we'll just move right <laughs> on past that but james i do i do i do see your perspective on, on the arsenal game i think you have to go back to the tried and true of like you said Partey 
back in the six. And I think Rice Rice and um, Odegaard, Odegaard probably would be yeah. who I'd play. You just look at, I mean, you said it before, just look at how solid of a core that is. An, an, an aged Casemiro, an aged Ericsson, and even a middle-aged Bruno Fernandez is not going to be able to to keep up with that central presence. All three it's of them scored this size. All three yeah. of them scored. Yeah. Yeah. But that was against Nottingham Forest. And their best player is Gibbs White, who plays <laughs> on, the, on the, you know, the wing, right? So, so, so what he's telling us is that we can rely on an out-of-the-box, parte, long shot, top right corner goal. Like last year, I get against. Uh, did he, he score it, against? He does it you like that? Games. He did against Spurs. He did against Spurs. He's a big game player. Long shot. He is a big game player. Yeah. He is a big. Game I do want to mention because you mentioned you talked about Enketia starting. Yeah. He made the difference last year. He scored a stoppage time winner with like one of the weirder like flicks of the leg yep. to put it in the back of the net late in the game. Yep. So we were at we were at uh, Mulligans for that one. We were. James, are we you going to give us a stat? about last year how many late goals arsenal had i think they must have scored more <laughs> they had goals the most the they definitely had kyle, did you, kyle did you know that they were the youngest team in the premier league no. last season were they? and they scored the most at yes. the at, in stoppage time it's only going to go up boys it's only going to go up because Which one? with the new age <laughs> age obviously sean i think you're right there that'll probably just go up yeah probably about okay, a year just, every just year double check in yeah yep. with the with the stoppage time now though uh, you know I, what exactly happened this weekend for against us, right? It was right before stoppage time, but it, it, the the it's kind of evening itself out. Like Arsenal had so many, you're right, Kyle. We had so many of those last season. It was only right that Fulham got one against us, kind of you know level the scales a bit there. But the other game that I'm excited about, and I think, I mean, just really quick around the horn, who do you guys think is going to win the Man U Arsenal game? Arsenal. I mean, the game's at the end. Yeah, I'm going to take Arsenal 2-1. Man U has not won a game this year that they shouldn't have won, and they've lost games they shouldn't have lost. (laughs) I don't see them beating Arsenal this weekend. Yeah. I'm with you guys. Perfect. I'm going to have to ask your opinion on the next one, too, because this game, I have no idea who is going to come out on top, but it is going to be almost as exciting as the the meeting of Man U and Arsenal, and that is Newcastle United versus Brighton. The honorary big six members, we can call them, going at it together at Amex Stadium. So this is the second home game in a row for Brighton, which is huge. But one thing I do want to point out here is that Brighton last year had a significantly worse home record than they did away. They were only ninth in home game records in the table. So I don't know how much people want to read into that. And Newcastle had a very good away record and they have not lost to Brighton in the last five meetings. So that there's, you know, a little bit of stats if you are driven by stats for that. But one more is obviously Newcastle has not beaten Brighton at home yet in the EPL during a regular season match. So I have no idea where this game is going to go, guys. Sean, what's going on, bro? What do you think about this one? It's it's a big game for sure. When you look at it, it's two teams who have ambitions of breaking into the top five. I guess we can start calling it, it you know, assuming they do well and everything works out in uh in in european competition but i i think newcastle it's it's a game that they have to at least get a point in um after a disappointing loss this weekend losing previously to city their team that that now you know with the the core that they have the coaching staff they have they expect to be top four and it's going to get harder once they start playing midweek games so you need to bank points now Mm mm-hmm um, so I think they come out with a sense of urgency and play with a lot of fire this weekend. Um, 
And to be honest, Brighton, like, yeah, they obviously dominated the ball against West Ham, but they did just look a little bit vulnerable. And maybe I'm underestimating them, and it's easy to do because they're always kind of the plucky underdog until last season. But um, I think Newcastle wins this one. I thought they played really well, honestly, for, for you know the first 30 minutes. They play that same intensity against Liverpool. I mean, against Brighton as they did against Liverpool, they should be fine in this game. Yeah, I trust their ability of their midfielders to create and I trust their back line more. Like James Milner, as much as I love him, is playing right back for. Um, He's going to be going against Brighton. Potoma. No, no, no. James Miller plays for Brighton. Oh, I'm sorry. I was, I was like, yeah, wait, yeah. hold on. That's, that's, He's going to be playing right. Anthony Gordon yeah, play or Anthony Harvey Gordon. Barnes. Yeah. Or, or Harvey Barnes, who are, you know, good, pacey, direct players that are going to cause issues for him. I think at this point, he's not the paciest guy in the world. It's easy to say at 38 years old, but uh, we'll be, it'll be interesting to see. We saw how he did against Mudrick last year and he was just getting eaten alive. Yeah. I think this is going to be a tie. I think it's a tie. I think it's a one, one draw. It's going to be a low scoring game. I think Newcastle has one of, if not the best defense in the premier league. And I think Brighton has one of the most fun offenses to watch. I think this game gets majorly played in the Newcastle half with Brighton on the ball of them just not letting up that through ball, not letting up that long shot. I don't think Brighton are going to crack very like crack the defense easily. I think they'll get one. And I think Newcastle is going to capitalize on the Brighton frustration of them not being able to break their defense and get a quick break. Maybe Isak gets the goal, but um, I mean, let's like you guys said, if you take away the big four, I think Brighton and Newcastle are one and two in the premier league. They are the big two up and coming teams that they will break the big four this year. I would near guarantee it that one of those two teams will final, like, f- finish in the top four again and make themselves a name. But um, I'm, I'm just thinking about the other teams that could maybe contend. Fulham, Brentford, Aston Villa, there were talks about with their new money. They're not there. These two teams are there. They have the manager. They have the players. They have the confidence. They have the stadium. They have the fans. I mean, that's the 12th man. But um, and I'm when I say take away the big four, I am not including the Spurs in the big four anymore. I'm sorry, Tom. I just I read a storyline this weekend which I want to share with you guys, which just brought me bliss. And it was that Kane leaves Newcastle, goes to Bayern Munich, stays there for three years. He makes the trophies. He finally gets himself a trophy room in his mansion, and then he comes back to the Premier League. Actually, he comes back to England. And he saves Newcastle, and he brings them back to the Premier League. You mean uh, he Spurs? saves Spurs, Spurs. yeah, brings yeah, them yeah. back to the Premier League from the Championship, and all is well. And then he's once again a fan favorite. I mean, you know, I w- I would love that, but the way that they're playing Ange ball right now with the with the new team and and Basuma, who's they now, look good, man. They look good. You can't. You can't. You know, what? I'm good. not gonna lie. They do look <laughs> they, good. Pedro Polo. You there. can't even shit on them right now. They <laughs> no, look good. And I'm the first but one to do it. The problem is, I've seen Kane score one or two goals every single time he's stepped on a field in Germany but this year. I, like, I think we talked about it last year and probably at the beginning of this year. It it had to happen. The ba- it was like ripping off a band aid. The same thing with Hugo Lloris. The same thing with Harry Kane. Even though it's obviously two different playing levels. At the end of the day. To progress as a club, they had to be moved on. He's 30 years old. They got 100 million pounds for him. They invested it wisely. I mean, James Madison's maybe the signing of the summer um, at the moment. But was it's the early, wound obviously. ready to like, be healed without the Band-Aid? I feel like you rip off the Band-Aid, and guess what? You got a gushing, you know, 
wound on if, your leg. If my wound came out looking like Tottenham Hotspur, I would be fine being an amputee if my wound looked like that. Right now, <laughs> it is fucking. It looks good, bro. It that's looks the sexiest moon. That's the All sexiest moon I've ever dude, seen. Kane leaves and Kane keeps scoring. I feel like this was not a him problem as much as a Spurs need to get their shit together problem. Yeah, but like, yeah, you but look, it's it's helping him do it. Yeah, you don't need, and I know you only understand having a striker that will put in 35, 40% of your team's goals in one season, but you don't need it anymore. You don't need just one source of goals. Like you even said it, man, you had three people score this weekend. Liverpool's had all four of their strikers on firing all cylinders. Arsenal had three people with over double digit goals and assists last year. I mean, like it's it. Tottenham's looking like that they're going to be up there in numbers with multiple goal scores. You don't need a Harry Kane. You can't just oh, well, deal I mean, with no, that. No, I agree with you. But tell me the last time that a team won the Premier League without having a striker in the top two. It's tough. You're right. You it's know, tough. like you got to have that one if you want to win. Yeah. You need to right. have that guy that puts 27, 32 goals in the net. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. Yeah. Yeah. But I know. We well, I've never been. That was, you know. that was a fun little Spurs tangent. <laughs> <laughs> You've never been. That's not true, Sean. A great segue into the lock of the week, because according to that, you lose or you're wrong all the time, Kyle. So I get a chance of redeeming Whoa. myself, though. <laughs> hey, I am not losing in the lock Just of the week. Just on my lock. lock of the week. <laughs> It's tough. Sean, you did. You did have your lock of the week get absolutely pumped. It was you chose Brighton over West Ham and West Ham took that extremely personally. And unfortunately for the champion of last season's lock of the week, you start out with an L. Um, I think you were the only one that didn't start out with an L last season in lock of the week. So it's only right that the, the tables have now turned and it turns to me. So with my lock of the week, so there's like an asterisk right next to this one, right? Because it all depends if their stadium is ready to host this weekend. So this weekend, I'm striking while, like we said, striking while the iron's hot. And I'm I'm riding this West Ham wave, man. I'm picking West Ham over Luton Town, and they're going to win big. I think they're going to win 2-0 or 3-0. Um, I don't think Luton pops one in the back of the net. I just don't see it. Um, I am extremely interested and intrigued to see what this pitch and what the stadium and what the atmosphere is going to be like. It's probably going to be devastating to walk in there as a bubble. <laughs> You're just getting ready to be popped. Low-key, one of my least favorite things. It's Julia's favorite mascot, I guess you can call it Bubbles. You know, they, She did put in the poll. They should change their name to the Bubbles, and I think that was fitting last year. But I, I am picking West Ham, the Irons, over Lutontown. Now, my caveat to that is if the game does not get played, I am going to be choosing a much difficult, more difficult lock of the week, and that would be Newcastle over Brighton. Um, I think that based off of what you said, Sean, the history of, Bright of, of Newcastle's uh, past head-to-heads over Brighton edges them out. Um, and Brighton right now, I think, are experiencing some difficulties that they hadn't experienced last season, and Newcastle can come out hot. So... If the Luton Town West Ham game does not occur, I would be putting my money on on Newcastle, and I think you'd win a bit of cash. All right, James. Quick question though: Do yeah. both teams score in the Brighton Newcastle game? Yes, I think it's a two-one finish Newcastle. Okay, but it, it depends on on how hot Newcastle come out because I can see that game getting out of hand as well. Maybe going three-one. 
all it did is just I've watched Newcastle up until the 78th minute this weekend. And until then, their defense didn't look like anyone was scoring on them. Yeah. You know, Man City scored that one long shot, but their defense looks so good. Until, I mean, Nunez tore them apart like paper mache. That was yeah. what it was. I mean, it depends on what team for Newcastle comes out. Are they going to get the first half uh, Newcastle against Liverpool or the or the team that ran up a 5-1 score against Villa? Or are they going to get the very happy to kind of sit back and let possession go to the other team against Man City? It depends on what, what Newcastle team wants to show up. But we will see this weekend. So you guys have anything else you want to point out other than that Raheem Sterling is actually a baller again? Or is there something else you want to talk about? I just want to thank all the all the people invested into the fantasy football league. Yeah. The Premier League state of mind. It's it's incredible. Absolutely incredible. Yeah, we got thirty eight uh, people. Everyone plays each other once. Uh I'm sending out those weekly updates. I'll send one out tonight, most likely. And uh and we'll we'll keep it up. Yeah, that's super cool. Yeah. Remember, yeah. in order to win that prize, you have to be following us on both Twitter and Instagram to be in contention for the brand spanking new 2024-2025 season jersey of the team of your choice. So make sure you Yeah, get you that have follow. to pass the pod. Yeah. And we also have to shout out first place is Harry Holford, Camp Park, the, their saw. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Which is uh, first place. So shout out to him. I am currently in 34th place. So oh. uh, we're definitely going to have some changes this week before the window closes. Tell that right. I'll tell you that for free. <laughs> Pick it up, boys. We're going to have some changes. And by the way, James, the fantasy expert here, he's played it longer than uh, Kyle and I have. He's uh, just one spot ahead of me in the 33rd. So no. also pretty poor effort all oh, No, I'm not in 33rd. You were in th- I'm. Is it your name? Oh, sorry. That's Christian Tesserero. That's where I see. My bad. <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm in. I think I'm in ninth or tenth. I, I'm up. Hey, listen, there. man, you should be flattered. I just confused you for Christian. Anyone that knows the two of them, <laughs> that's true. Be, that's true, James. What a compliment. That. Fair trade. Fair trade. Play on, boys. That will play. <laughs> well, gentlemen, we will play on this week with the first game starting on Friday, which is my lock of the week, um, and then we'll continue throughout it. So make sure to tune into that one, and then of course the the two big games of the weekend: Brighton versus Newcastle is Saturday at twelve thirty p.m. And then on Sunday, to ring up the end of match day four, or match week four, rather, is Arsenal versus Man U. And that is at 11.30 a.m. on Sunday. So until then, guys, have a good week, have a good weekend, and we'll catch you next week.